Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's wonderful always to be with you, and uh, I want to uh, thank the musicians today. All right, so I encourage you with to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Thanks again to the musicians. It's a, a wonderful thing to be able to uh, praise and worship the Lord with you. So I thank you for your efforts in that. And uh, it's always amazing to me uh, that the Lord picks the songs and that they fit the message. And uh, I'm, always, I'm always tickled by that. So Matthew chapter 5. And reading, well, we'll start at verse 13. Uh, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just a good reminder that we are the salt. We are the light. We are whom God has chosen to help this world. And the world is dependent on us to fulfill and do Uh, the ministry that he has given us. Now for the text today, reading at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and when he says least of these commandments, he's going to be speaking the commandments after this section, okay? Uh, Which we will begin to look at uh, today, but especially next week. Um, Whoever relaxes... Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Now, Father, this is your word. Uh, And you know our hearts and minds are distracted by uh, many worthy things and many fearful things. And, Lord, and even uh, great and wonderful things. We we thank you uh, for what you're doing in our lives here. I pray that you will encourage your people this morning, that you will give them a word from yourself. And that it will be spoken in the power of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Thank you again for the rain. 
Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your restorative power each and every day. And thank you, Lord, for the grace that finds us all here this morning. Thank you for the freedom from persecution to be here. And we ask, O oh God, now, open our hearts and minds to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. When Jesus speaks about the law and the prophets, he is speaking about the Old Testament. That two-thirds of your Bible is all about is the Old Testament. And uh, sometimes the Old Testament is called the law, the prophets, and the writings. Sometimes it's called the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And sometimes it's just called the law. I want you to know, uh, as I'm going to show, well, I won't be able to show it all today, but I'll be able to uh, make this statement that all of the Old Testament pointed back to the law and pointed to the law. Very important that you gather that. Uh, so this is an out, out loud question. It's not a rhetorical question. I want you to answer it out loud. Uh, if you were Jewish and lived in Jesus' day, what would be some of the things that you would be most proud of as for being a Jew and being in Israel? What would be some of the things that you would be proud of? Following the rules of the Torah. The Torah. Okay. That would be something that you would be proud of. Anything else that you might think? And it's towards that that I'm heading this morning. Anything else? Would they be proud of their temple? Oh yeah, big time. They're proud of their temple. They were God's chosen people. Thank you. And uh, they had a, that history and uh, uh, they, they had been led uh, out of slavery, out of Egypt by God crossing the Red Sea with Moses. But I want to state this, the most, the, probably the greatest thing for Israel was a possession of the law, that they were ever given the law of God. Above all other nations, them alone were given the law of God. And for them, that was a huge, huge uh, privilege that they had. And they would have been proud of it. Now, if you're a Jewish person listening to this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has given, and up to this point, Jesus has said nothing about the law. This is a nation that's supposed to revolve around the law. But Jesus has said nothing about the law. He's mentioned the kingdom of heaven twice in the Beatitudes. In verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's mentioned the kingdom of heaven, but he's not mentioned anything about the law. And they would have started, I would think, 
uh, soon, if Jesus hadn't brought up the law here, they would have started thinking, hey, what's his, what does he think about the law? Does, does he believe in the law? Does he recognize it to be given to the nation by God? Does he recognize that it is the very commands of God? Does he believe what the prophets wrote? Now, when the prophets wrote, prophets like Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth, when they wrote, they were always calling the nation back to the law. So in one sense, the Old Testament is always centered in the law. Very important. Now, Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus had not come to get rid of the Old Testament. But fulfill it. The law is so important that it teaches that nothing it teaches will be abolished. But it will be fulfilled. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not the law and the prophets. As a matter of fact, if someone teaches that you do not have to obey the law, Jesus says they will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you do them and teach them, you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So then, we infer from that that the Old Testament is very important. Amen? Yeah. Jesus is not getting rid of any of it, but comes to fulfill it. It must be important. And if it is important, we should read it and study it. Uh, I've attended seminary off and on for the last uh, six years, seven years. And uh, sometimes in class, a lot of times online, but sometimes in class. But you get the distinct impression, indeed, not the impression, the actual fact, that people don't read the Old Testament. And many of the people that I'm in class, we're in class with are people who are prospective pastors. We need to read the Old Testament. This is what the early church preached from was the Old Testament. And we need to study it and read it. If you don't have a reading program to go through the Bible every once or uh, every two years, I really, really would encourage you to do that. You really should. Read it through. I do it every year. Read it through. It's good for you. It is the Word of God. Now, but I wondered if you noticed this, what Jesus says. I, wa I wondered if you noticed the onus Jesus puts on himself here. 
He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he says in verse 18, for I truly say to you, when you think of Jesus making these statements, we need to ask ourselves, who did Jesus think he was? He is speaking as someone that has some sort of special authority, some spe special anointing by God. Now we need to ask ourselves, what do we believe about Jesus? And one of the things that is happening and will continue to happen and has happened uh, within the churches all over this world is an attack on the divinity of Jesus Christ. As a church, you must have your ears, eyes open, your minds thinking about this, that the one thing that the devil does in the church, the way he attacks it, one of his biggest weapons is to attack the divinity the Godhead of Jesus Christ. Does Jesus have authority over us? Does he have the right to say to us, jump, and we jump? Do we have the right, really, to refuse him? To refuse to obey him? Is he just another good teacher, a nice man? Is he just a philosopher, uh, another religious leader that's in this world? Jesus says this, I have not come to abolish them, being the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus believed that in himself, he would fulfill the law. That is quite a statement. I would never make that statement. The law and the prophets find their fulfillment in Jesus, and that is no small matter. Jesus makes other statements about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. These are authoritative statements. Statements of divinity is the statements that Jesus is God. Now C.S. Lewis, I don't know if, how many are aware of C.S. Lewis? Have you read anything? Mere Christianity, I hope most of you have read that. C.S. Lewis says this. This is about people who say that Jesus was merely a good teacher. If Jesus was merely a good teacher, then you don't really have to obey him, do you? But if he is God that's speaking, you do. So this is what C.S. Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't ex accept his claim to be God. That is 
one thing, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not choose with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And he says in another essay, I hoped I have to accept the view that he was and is God. He produced mainly three effects, that is Jesus, hatred, terror, and or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament pointed to. This includes all the prophetic writings that pointed for his coming, all the, all the sacrifices that were in the Old Testament law pointed it and finds its fulfillment in Jesus. All the holiness that is within the law is found in Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. So when Jesus tells us to do something, we must obey it. It's not optional. In the verses that follow here, he's going to talk about anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies. And all of those are pointing back to the law. We have not gotten rid of the law. We don't look to the law to save us. We believe only in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross as being the only way, his shed blood taking the very wrath of God upon himself for our sins. He is the only reason that any of us will get to heaven. And we are not saved by the law. But we are not without law. The law is very important. Now, what Jesus says in verse 20 would have been quite remarkable, shocking to the people of the day. Where he says, I tell you, unless you, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are the scribes and Pharisees? They were the most religious people in Israel. If you were back living in that day and uh, you were asked, asked anyone who's following the law, who are the people that are uh, doing their best uh, uh, to uh, follow what God wants, they would have said the Pharisees and the scribes. 
They were the most zealous people for the law. Matter of fact, they would take their spices even, and they would divide it so that they could tithe the spice for the work in the temple. They were extremely zealous for the law. But the problem was, the law was given roughly 1,500 years before Jesus came. And in that time, rabbis, Jewish teachers, began trying to explain, expand upon the law. And they began over, over the centuries to develop what they call oral traditions, the traditions of the elders. And these writings, these traditions, were accepted as equal to the Word of God. So when Jesus says things like he does in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, when you hear him say that, he is quoting what is in their traditions and what they taught, the scribes and Pharisees. But remember, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The problem with their teaching was this. It did not go far enough. It was all surface. It was all just about certain acts. And we'll talk about that next week. It didn't go into where everything begins in the heart and minds of us all. That's where sin begins. The law was meant to expose our hearts. And what Jesus is going to do in the next verses is show the true intent of the law and correct the teachings that they were hearing from the scribes and Pharisees. Until we get to the heart, we have not dealt with the problem. It's like picking a weed up by the stem and thinking it's gone. It'll just keep coming back if it's the weeds I'm thinking about. You have to get at the root and take it out. And the law exposes that to us. It exposes our need for Christ. It exposes our need of His righteousness. It exposes our need for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and our need of him for the strength that we need to say no to sin and to change us from within. It's not about a matter of not just doing this or doing that. He's going right in to our hearts to change us. Is that your experience? 
the law that we obey is much more difficult, much deeper, much more revealing. Now I have, I have three brothers, one has died. And I became the first, I'm the youngest brother, I have a younger sister, but I'm the youngest brother. And I came to Christ before them. And the one time uh, before my one brother was saved, we were walking in King Carton, and I just really, really wanted to tell him about the gospel. He knew that something had happened in my life that was religious. And he was a little concerned about me, I think, but he wanted to find out what was going on with me. And I'm a younger brother, so, and he's 10 years older, so you have to be kind of respectful, you know, for your older brother. So I, I'm walking through, and I'm looking for that moment in the conversation that will lead, uh, lead to that explanation of the gospel. It's not happening. And it just goes on. I, we were walking for over an hour, and I still could not get into the place where I could tell him about Jesus Christ. Well, finally, out of pure frustration, I lost it, and I just blurbed it out. I mean, with all the non-grace that I could. I, I was just so upset with and I, I actually went home uh, very upset with myself that I hadn't been a better uh, representative and had not represented the gospel better to my brother. But along that uh, way, he says, well, I, I don't feel like I'm a sinner. And I said to him, one of the verses here in, uh, in the Bible, I mentioned... What's next is anger, which is, Jesus says is the root of murder, <laughs> and then lust. I said, Bruce, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He goes, what? <laughs> what? It, it's not just a matter of not committing the physical act. No, it goes right into the heart. He goes, oh. Man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and he went home. Well, he went to my parents' place. And uh, yeah, his wife said to him, what did Robert say? And he said, we're all going to hell. <laughs> now, I never mentioned hell once. <laughs> but the Spirit of God took the law of God applied it to his life. About four months later, he called me up. I was on night shift. And I was sleeping, and it was noon. And he lived in the 16th floor, which tells me how God can find people. 
He's on the 16th floor of an apartment in Scarborough, across from low-income apartments, a preacher knocking on his door, telling him about Christ. He phoned me up and he said, first Louise had to get me up. I wasn't happy, because it's 12 o'clock, that's mid, that's good sleeping time. And, and uh, he says to me, Ginny, his wife, is getting saved, and I'm going to get saved right after her. The pastor had taken each one individually. But the law is meant and taken by the word of God. Sorry, by the Spirit of God, He applies it to our lives and brings us to that place where we know we need a Savior. We know we can't save ourselves, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And I think for many evangelicals, it does. They don't take what Jesus says here serious enough. Because Jesus is dead serious about it. Not what jot or one tittle. So when we hear Jesus, in the, and I encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount. When you hear him teach, he's teaching you what the law actually, the intent of the law taught. The spirit of the law, not just the letter, but the spirit of the law he was teaching. And he expects, indeed, he commands, and this is why I spent so much time on Jesus' authority, he is the Son of God. And if he says, you don't do something, you don't do it. It's not open for debate. So I encourage you to reread these. This is the fourth time I've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. Each time I find something new. But this has struck me this time. I need to take what he says in these next commands very seriously. And I need them applied to my life. And not say, oh well, everyone else is doing it. So it doesn't matter. It does matter. He says so. He has the right to say it. We need to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And I thank you for the law. I indeed praise you for it. That it ever led us to our knowledge of sin, our need of you, and our need of the Holy Spirit to work in us, to sanctify us, to make us holy. Holiness is important to you. Indeed, is commanded. It's necessary for us. Well, help us, Lord, to take these seriously. Help us to remember these words come from your divine lips. Help us to obey. And Lord, in so being, become the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Help us, dear Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.